this is uh, this is episode ten, flipping tables yeah, podcast. Our episode 10th episode. Oh. God, it pains me. I'm never going to live that mistake down. <laughs> no, it, this is our tenth episode. It I'm is just our call. Episode. We're just calling it now. Yeah, it's ten. We had an we had an alpha it, it was run. A, yeah, it was a pilot. We we launched in private beta. So try to satisfy every urge of like indexing from zero. Yes, but exactly. <laughs> human readable. Right. So episode ten. I think that's an accomplishment. Yeah. Because there's probably a new podcast launched every couple of hours everywhere around the world. And how many of them get to episode 10? Probably a vanishingly small percentage. So I think... And we've been doing weekly. I think we missed one week, but we Well, originally we were, we were all like, ooh, I don't know if weekly is like... Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's kind of a lot. But I, I don't know. I've really enjoyed it. Just like the rhythm of it. Just like, yep. Every week, yeah, it's 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 a like a scheduling thing too. It's like, well, if we only do it once a month, and then we're busy, maybe well, we'll do two next month, or we'll put it off by a week. When you have to do it every week, you don't have that kind of leeway. Yeah. So yeah, I think the weekly thing's been good, and people seem to like it. Yep, people so. love it. <laughs> You're welcome, people of the world. <laughs> So we had a couple pieces of follow-up. Um, I'm actually going to do the Heartbleed one. So uh, one of our listeners, uh, Carolyn, um, linked to a Lifehacker article uh, that uh, – so if you remember the Heartbleed catastrophe, which people seem to forget about frighteningly quick. It was like yeah. the world was ending and now no one cares. <laughs> but if you still care and if you haven't uh, – taken carrier passwords um there's a we'll throw this up in the show notes it's a chrome extension and basically when you go to a website it lets you know do i need to update my password for this specific website so although it's probably safer to just do it everywhere that means updating dozens and dozens of passwords nobody's going to do that you don't remember all your accounts right so if you're not using a password manager which you should be (laughs) at least you'll update the sites that are known to be vulnerable um, so thanks for that, Carolyn. And then, uh, Mike, you had something in here about the, the fuel band. Oh, this, just a brief follow-up. Since we had that whole episode about wearables, there, there was interesting news that Nike is abandoning the hardware side of wearables. And so the, the sort of the speculation out there is maybe they just see writing on the wall like Google and presumably Apple and someone else is going to own the software on wearables. It's just no part the, the hardware. Oh, yeah, own the hardware and create the platform that the software will run on. And so why try to keep propping up your own little niche platform? Right. And so I think this is – I think, first off, you're probably exactly right. I think they realized that they were competing in a space that they stand to gain nothing from competing in. It's like – them owning the hardware doesn't really benefit them in any way, but having software that runs on someone else's hardware, I mean, this is the Windows mentality, right? It's yeah. Like, we don't need to make the beige box that you run Windows on. We just need to make the Windows that runs on your beige box. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other thing, I, I can't remember, I, I read an article where someone said their main problem with the fuel band was that back in the days of Weight Watchers being founded, they used a point system because the average person did not know what calories were or how they worked. So 
they were like, oh, these foods are worth this many points because to say you have a calorie total would have like confused most people. Um, and Nike did kind of the same thing where they were like, oh, you have f- uh, fuel points, I think they were called. But people know like what steps are, <laughs> right? So like <laughs> yeah. you have an iPhone 5S that counts your steps. Um, I have a Nexus 4 that counts my steps roughly. I don't think it's quite as accurate as the iPhone 5. But like at the end of the month, it tells me how many steps I took roughly compared to how many steps I took the month before. And like I know what that means. Mm-hmm. Like I know about how long my stride is. So to look at the Nike Fuel Van and just see like, oh, you got 20,000. Like that doesn't mean anything. Yeah. I, I know if it's more than last time I got a score, but I feel like that's kind of... Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. I, I want like, like an actual need, metric. Needlessly abstracting. <laughs> yeah. So I think that, and plus they already kind of have, uh, what is it, Nike Plus, right? Yeah. That you put on like an iPod. So I mean, they've already even gone well, into Well, that the, was like a chip in your shoe. Yes. Or I think talk to either an, an iPod or you had a dedicated yeah. Nike device. I, I think uh, it worked with the Ant bluetooth thingy yeah. and then it would talk to like the nike software but i mean they're already ready to do this yeah all they have to do is stop making fuel bands and go back to supporting nike plus which i mean i don't think which they, they already banned. have on ios and android yeah so it's it, it seems to make a lot more sense it's cool that they tried something but and it may have just been like a short term like until the big guys get in the space we need to establish like keep our relevance not just let Fitbit own it yeah, or whatever. That, that's actually a good point because when people were thinking of wearables, they were not thinking of the Nike Plus because the Nike Plus predated the stupid buzzword of wearable. Yeah. Right? Quantified uh, self. Yeah. So Somebody tweeted, um, Nike is getting out of the wearable business and will focus on non-wearables like shoes and clothes. <laughs> 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 It's very tongue in cheek, but it kind of it reminds you that the super narrow San Francisco tech bubble nomenclature, like the rest yeah. of the world, when you say wearables, they're like, "Oh, you mean like shoes and clothes?" <laughs> it's like, no, no, we mean electronics in your shoes the and world. clothes. Your shoes and clothes were not wearables, but now that they have sensors in them, now they're wearables. Now that we can track your data and sell <laughs> ads against it. It's now, wearable. Now they're wearables. Now we care in the valley. So robots. <laughs> so I I don't know. I, I'm I'm okay with you leaving the blueprint and mixing this down. I think it'll be kind of funny. But there was just like a sudden recording stop. Yeah, <laughs> everything it's just bound came, to happen eventually. Yeah, everything <laughs> just came to a grinding halt, which makes me realize that for the first the pilot and the first nine episodes <laughs> for the pilot and the first nine episodes, we had like no recording problems of any kind. Yeah. So that's, that's not so bad. I'm furious. Yes. That's it. This has finally failed. That's it. Podcasting over. Um, no, but I think, so the first thing we have to talk about is our new music. Yes. So if you're, of course you're listening to the recording cause we don't broadcast live, but so the, the theme song is now, Mike's theme song, that, that micro. Yes, a new chip toony. I'm not not an expert, so I'm so sure some official person could come and be like, yeah, there's <laughs> all these reasons that what you did is not really a chip tune. But whatever. <laughs> that aside, um, yeah, made this little Ness-sounding Mega Man Castlevania-inspired little tune 
for our theme song. And it was really fun for me because uh, there's just like trying to recreate nest style sounds was just sort of like an education moment for me of like, what do they actually do to make these sounds? And why did they make these sounds the way they did? And, um, and well, so I'm a big fan of chiptune and I didn't, not being a musician, I never really thought about it. But when we were talking about this yesterday and we were talking about how many audio is it tracks, I guess? Yeah, or channels. Channels. How many channels the Super Nintendo had versus the Nintendo, and I assume the Master System and the Genesis were similar, although I think the Genesis actually had slightly more powerful audio. It might have been fewer channels, though. Oh, well. It's always trade-offs. It's sort of like, well, it was different. Yeah, it was different, but not better. (laughs) Just different. So, But the Nintendo was four channels, Right? Yeah, and that so that meant you could not have more than four of any sound effect happening at the right. same time. Right, and almost all the music on the regular Nintendo was uh, synthesized. I I need to go back to my homework, <laughs> but it was less sampled real stuff or sampled realistically sounding stuff, and it was more like here's a synthesizer that does a square, a triangle, and a noise like a. Ch- Okay, I, and so all the music was sort of generated from that. What is a square? <laughs> it's just the shape of the 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 wave it's generating. Okay. And and so what instrument would that simulate? It's just a different sounding, very very electronic sounding synth. Okay. So, um, I could maybe next episode I'll yeah, prepare some samples and some stuff yeah <laughs> so i mean i i like whereas on like super nintendo you'd have something that sounded like a kick drum a snare drum a guitar a like all these different re- like it didn't sound real but it sounded like it was actually based on a real thing right so i i mean i kind of when i think of like ness style music like chiptune kind of music i think more than nintendo yeah, because even well, I think that survives better because sort of like how pixel art survives better than the early <laughs> Polygon era. Yeah, like the, Super Nintendo has some amazing music, but it's sort of in that uncanny valley of like, yeah, that's supposed to be a violin, but yeah. I'd rather take the orchestral version they recorded later. Yeah, yeah, I'd rather go to the the concert where people play on real instruments. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it is kind of that that uncanny valley effect because the. I was I was trying to like find different stuff for you to listen to for inspiration, and I listened to like Castlevania and Simon's Quest, which were Nintendo games, and then I was like, oh, maybe I'll jump and listen to the Super Castlevania soundtrack, and I was like, uh, yeah, it's weird. Not- and so like when <laughs> you originally suggested maybe to target like a Super Nintendo sound, I was like, no, no, and it's that weird. Like, why is the better you know, subjectively better yeah. sound, not sound better. Yeah, it's, I mean, it, I think the, the pixel art versus low poly is the best. Like, imagine, listener, in the, your theater of the mind, <laughs> imagine the way the graphics in, like, Final Fantasy VI looked, which still, to me, hold up. Like, when Edgar looks back at the camera and waggles his finger <laughs> and laughs, like, you know exactly what's happening. He's waggling his finger and laughing. When Cloud raises his stone. (laughs) When Cloud Strife swings his mighty hoof in the direction (laughs) of the camera. You have no... 
idea what gesture he's doing. Um, he didn't have a mouth. <laughs> <laughs> he couldn't blink. Like I mean, even the pre-rendered sequences don't hold up very well. No, <laughs> especially because he and had, they're like fifteen frames per second. Yeah, so. it's and it, it's very weird to go back and because I remember when I got Final Fantasy VII for Christmas that year, I was like, "This is the most amazing thing <laughs> I have ever seen or heard or experienced." Yeah, and now I'm like, eh, I'd rather just play Super Nintendo games. <laughs> <laughs> it's just it's a weird I wonder like did you do you remember going through this with Toy Story like Pixar so linearly improves like every movie is always better looking than the previous movie mm-hmm. so when Toy Story 3 came out I was like wow you know it's amazing that these characters have held up and then when you look at toy story one and it's like oh these are completely different models (laughs) made on different technology with different lighting effects which i mean the first one it still looks good but you can tell that it's 10 years before well it has a lot more of a and i don't mean this in a bad way but it has more of like a coloring book kind of feel where like everything is flat colors and like super bright and then when you look at toy story 3 like everything that should cast a shadow casts a shadow like yeah all all the fabric looks like real fabric they felt a lot more free to have i mean free in the sense of they had the (laughs) technology and the experience to do it right but everything looks more aged and i mean the plot has old toys so Yeah, but, so then but could they have done weathered. it that well in 1994? Or, Probably not. Or whatever the eight years they spent making Toy Story. But, it was it. It was like 94, 95. I think it came out. Yeah, one of those years. Yeah. <laughs> um, it but, came out in a year with a number. But anyway, this whole discussion of the uncanny valley of sound is because the the first, and if you stick with us to the end of the episode, we'll, uh, maybe I'll put the original demo. Yes. Um, that was a little meatier, had more of a thick bass line, had actual sampled kick and snare that was bit crushed, so it sounded all like lo-fi, but it still is bit crushed. It's still sampled based on an actual kick and snare, which puts it above right. Nintendo sounds. Yeah. Which and and my very useful client feedback to you was well, it sounds too good. <laughs> yeah. Cause I know like I, I may not know art, but I know what I like. Like yeah. I, I listen to a lot of chiptune, but I have no idea how to create it. So as soon as you sent it to me, I was like, this sounds good, and that's bad. <laughs> <laughs> it was just more like a modern mashup where like you want to compress and make everything big and large and right. impactful. And it's like, when you really go back and listen to Mega Man 2 music, you're like, oh, the drums really are kind of this thin little... Yeah, and there's a boop 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 boop, boop. and that, that's the baseline <laughs> yep. is like and two octaves higher than you'd expect, and <laughs> and then they give all the attention to the melody because obviously the bass and the drums are going to cut out every time you shoot or get hit by an enemy or anything. Yeah, which is weird because I don't feel like I remember noticing that. Like it's done so. Yeah. smoothly that you know when i was firing the gun i took totally for granted that like parts of the music were dropping away every time the arm cannon deployed well this is like one of those things i think about like when you jump to super nintendo and you get eight channels like it seems like oh eight that's not that many more than four but practically speaking it's so much more because yeah. it's just like before we were juggling like it was musical chairs for sounds 
and now everything can coexist. And I don't know, the analogy it made me think of jumping way into the future was like when the iPhone first came out with its app store, the phone really did not have enough RAM to run <laughs> no. extra apps. No, it did not. <laughs> so when the second or third iPhone doubled the RAM, it wasn't like, for developers, it wasn't like, oh, we had 128 megabytes, now we have 256. It was, oh, we used to have like 5 megabytes of RAM on top of the system, and now we have 133 or yeah, something. Cause, well, the original iPhone, and I'm speaking way beyond my knowledge as a hardware person here, but I feel like the original iPhone was designed kind of like a game console in the sense that they knew exactly what software you were going to be running because they wrote it. So they didn't yeah. have to give you even a byte more RAM than the OS needed because that's all you were ever going to run. So I feel like for Super Nintendo sound designers, it was like I used to have to kick that guy out of the room every time I wanted a sound effect to happen. <laughs> and now I have my own space. So it was like... Yeah, it wasn't four more channels. It was infinitely more than he used to have. Yeah. Well, I I feel like... So just a quick thing back to the iPhone. Um, so the newest one is 64-bit processor, but yeah. it's still only 512. Or it's one gig. Or oh, a gig. Um, but, I mean, that's that's not a lot. Well, and that's <laughs> the thing they say is that apps compiled for 64-bit, the same apps you already ran before, take up more memory now. Yes, so, woo! So, yeah, <laughs> and, until they got the point one update out, there was definitely some out-of-memory crashes happening oh, yeah. every other day. And I feel like with uh, with the PlayStation, so what's CD quality audio? Because I remember that was the big deal when we moved into the disc era. Well, I mean, if you're talking about just like a... I mean, the generic term when they say, like, CD quality. Well, I mean, CDs are 44.1 kilohertz, 16-bit. 16-bit. Yeah. Okay, so 16 channels? No. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Is this way too complicated of an issue to get into? Well, most CD audio is just two channels because it's mixed down to stereo. Uh, and so it's like the, as many tracks as you wanted when you recorded it in a studio, right? Mixed down to stereo. Okay, yeah. Let, let's not go. And into so crazy. if you want to talk about synthesized audio, then that would just depend on the hardware. There's no one answer. Right. So really, in that case, if you, since you're mixing it down, you could record every single instrument on its own track and then mix them all together. Yeah. So you could. It's unlimited. You could have a million instruments playing at once. Yeah, because it's yeah you did it in a studio, with right? Huh. But then you lose the like sort of the Zelda sixty four like music that can change dynamically with the game. Oh, true. And so that's why some PlayStation games didn't use the pre recorded audio, and they had. And I don't. I'm not familiar with what PlayStation's hardware was for that. Like all the Final <laughs> Fantasy music, most of it, at least is synthesized on the PlayStation. It's not yes. Not yeah, pre-recorded. And, and you can tell like it's it still had that MIDI kind of yeah. feeling like it was way better. It was way more powerful, but it still had that hoof and probably kind the, of feeling. Man, we should really get my friend Benji Robinson on here cuz he spent years using so MTV put out a music creation app on PlayStation. I can't remember what it was called. Oh wow! We'll look it up. But <laughs> um, 
I can't remember how many tracks you got, but it's probably a good resource for what the PlayStation was capable of. It was called the MTV Music Generator. Sure, yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> well, that, that was I, the first thing that came up on Google. I think you got you, you at least got 16, maybe 32 channels to play with, right. with synthesized stuff. Well, I was curious, so I actually looked... Um, the Nintendo 64 had a maximum of 100 simultaneous channels. Mm-hmm. But remember, that's all the sound effects that are going on. Right. The entire soundtrack, everything. So it's... Yeah. And think... So 100 channels on the Nintendo 64, and then four channels on the Nintendo. Yeah. And yet Nintendo music sounds so good. <laughs> so you've started down the endless rabbit hole of an MMORPG. Yes, I have. <laughs> so you started playing Final Fantasy fourteen on the PS4, right? Mm-hmm. So MMOs, originally keyboard mouse games, and you're doing crazy voodoo. They've done an admirable job mapping to controller. Yeah, so you were showing it to me. It's There's, like, it, to get to all those crazy quick menus, it's all through the face buttons in combination with shoulder buttons, right? Yeah, so... Y- so if you think of the D-pad and then the square X triangle circle, you've got eight buttons on the face. And then if you hold R2, then you've got eight commands using one of the face buttons. Right. So like R2 plus circle is one of my attacks, plus X is a different attack, etc. And you can map whatever you want, heal spell, you learn all sorts of abilities. Um, and then L2 is another set of eight. So right there you've already got 16 things your character can do with that combo and you get pretty used to it and then when you're not holding l2 or r2 it's like your standard like your mouse keyboardy actions like selecting something or canceling and and but and you move with the joystick the regular analog sticks yeah so i mean the only time it becomes a problem is if you want to type or communicate right and i mean you can map you can map your character action if you want to have like laugh and cry and dance yeah Seemed, I think World of Warcraft really set that off. Like, I can make my character dance. Yeah, Yay. there's already three dances my characters learned in Final Fantasy XIV, like a <laughs> barn dance and like a, a high art like ballet dance. So they've made it part of the game, By now you have to learn them. Oh, there's quests right off the bat where you have to like go cheer someone up by laughing and telling and joking with them. And so they built in how to do all the stupid crap by actually making it part of the game? Yeah. Which totally brings me to the point of this. <laughs> <laughs> so I wish I could say that was planned, but that just was <laughs> fortuitous. So we we talked a couple episodes ago about two-factor auth, and Final Fantasy fourteen allows you to do two-factor auth, and they encourage it. How? How do they encourage it in the game, Mike? So you get rewarded for setting up two-factor auth. Um, normally, uh, you can only warp for free to like your home city but if you want to warp use a spell to teleport anywhere else it costs you money and so in game money yeah not, in-game, yeah okay yeah. I just, just want to be sure it's not free to play so they aren't constantly charging <laughs> you to play which is one of the ironies but yeah kind of well yeah. it's a it's a known cost yeah yeah so yeah you lose in-game character money to conveniently teleport somewhere and so what they do is if you set up two-factor auth, you can pick one of your, your favorite destinations, and that's just another free teleport spot. Yeah, which is awesome. Yeah. 
because that's something I think most people would never even really consider. I mean, for a lot of people don't even know what two-factor auth is. Like, a totally, yeah. the idea of like, wait, my phone. And they don't even call message. it that. They call it one-time passwords. Oh, okay. Yeah, which is I think it's technically a little different from like a crypto security standpoint, but it's way more secure than just username and password. Yeah, that's the important thing. Um, so most people don't even know what that kind of security is, and then the people who do frequently don't do it because they just think it's too much work. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I actually know a guy, and if he's listening to this, you really need to stop. <laughs> I know a guy who works in tech for a living, and he doesn't even have a lock screen on his phone. And I'm like, your whole life is on your phone. Like, you've connected everything to it. And he's like, oh, it's not a big of a deal. And I'm like, no, it really is. And he's like, yeah, I know, I just don't care. <laughs> it's like, you're the worst kind of person because you're willfully ignorant. <laughs> like, that's, yeah. that's so much worse. If you don't know, you can't be blamed, but you know and don't care. So when you told me about this 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 kind of setup Final Fantasy fourteen has going, it made me think about, like, the, the gamification of security, mm-hmm. like the, the incentivization of security. And I immediately started thinking about like Dropbox has two-factor auth. I mean, nobody's going to use Dropbox anymore because apparently Condoleezza Rice <laughs> is the devil. But so <laughs> Dropbox has two-factor auth, and I, I mean, the story writes itself for them. Like you get an extra gig of storage if you turn on two-factor auth, right? Like mm-hmm. they already have that system in yeah, place. Eight other ways. Yeah, yeah. If you tweet about it, you get another five hundred megs. If you share it on Facebook, you get another five hundred megs. If you do whatever, you get another five hundred megs. So I mean, they already have that system in place. Yeah. Just add two-factor auth to the list. And if you really want to incentivize people, give that one a little more weight. So, like, turning on photo syncing on your phone gives you 500 megs, but turning on two-factor auth gives you a gig or a gig and a half yeah. or something. Like, really show how beneficial it is. Um, you can do any any kind of cloud storage service. I feel like that one's a throwaway. Like, if you do cloud storage and you have two-factor auth, which you should, yeah, then just do that. Um Banks, I feel like banks could do like a small, like you get an extra ATM withdrawal if you, you know, w- yeah, without we'll, fees. We'll waive fees. Yeah, or, or a lot of banks just waive ATM fees now. So they could just say like, we'll waive your ATM fees if you turn on two-factor auth. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, th- this is something, everyone should have two-factor auth as an option and the good way to get it in the public mindset is with these little incentives. And then once people just make it part of their life, then they're yeah. not going to think about, well, of course I turn it on. Well, I'm even thinking like, if even for regular password management stuff, like could you gamify that? Or what could an organization do to be like, our employees keep, like we keep getting slammed by these phishing attacks. Yeah. Or, you know, yeah, and it's been getting worse. Yeah. And so what can we do besides yelling at them with emails all the time? Like, yeah. Can we do something with a different strategy to get people to be more secure? Yeah, I mean, it's... Uh, so Our we work for a university, and I've worked for a few different institutions. I know you have too, and it, it seems like we are ripe for phishing attacks and this is probably true of any organization because here's what I imagine is happening. They find a domain that they know has a bunch of email addresses attached to it. 
they look for those public email addresses, and then they just spam the hell out of them. Yeah. Because, you know, if you go to, like, GE.com, you can probably find a list of email addresses for, like, middle manager and customer support. And then you can guess a thousand other ones if there's a pattern to how those usernames are generated. Exactly. If the middle manager, John Smith, is, you know, John Smith at GE.com, sorry, John, (laughs) then... You know, Mary Smith is probably Mary Smith at yeah. GE.com. And it, it works that way in general because you want your email address to be discoverable. Like, you don't you don't want to hash your email address. Yeah, it's not a password. So. Yeah. Um, so that makes you a target. And uh, I th- so I think, like, uh, even if it was something trivial, like, oh, if you use two-factor auth on your work logins then you get like an extra 15 minutes at lunch for free like where you know 15 minutes of of extra lunch time or um you uh you get we all have email storage at work you get like another gig in your your email storage or something i mean there's got to be even a half day of vacation (laughs) yeah in the year for the year yeah if, as long as you keep two-factor auth on. You gotta turn it on and turn it off. Yeah. Turn it on, go on vacation, and then turn it back off. <laughs> but yeah, I, there's gotta be things that are not gonna break the bank for the organization Yeah, that would still be considered incentives to an individual employee. And I, I, I feel like... So, come on, Internet. Like, give me a, good, a list of good ideas so I can take them to my boss and get credit for them. <laughs> I mean, so that I can say I crowdsource. He them. doesn't listen to this. So. <laughs> it's true, he doesn't. And even if he did, if it was a good idea, he'd still do it. He'll listen. No, he won't even listen if he's on the episode. <laughs> cool guys don't listen to their own episode. That's true. Am I not cool? <laughs> You're an audio engineer. Is this like the Johnny Depp has never seen any of his own movies sort of thing? Like, I make them, I'm done. Kind yeah. of work ethic. I never watch my old work. <laughs> but I, I think this is... Cause when you told me about this in Final Fantasy, I had like a God, I wish I worked in security kind of moment. because <laughs> Which is not often. No. You probably think that. <laughs> God, no. Because there's... I think in the realm of people who get bitched at by their customers, technical support is always considered to be number one because you only contact them when there's a problem. Yeah. But I think network security then like even supersedes them because no one thinks about their email security until their email gets hacked. Then you find out that there's a, a person or a team that runs network security and you hate them. Yeah. Like you didn't even know they existed and now you hate them. Yeah. So I feel like those people really get shot on <laughs> pretty much nonstop because they're not in the mindset of their and users when, at when all. They, when they're doing an amazing job, no one thinks no. about them at all. Yeah. So totally thankless work, <laughs> but not blameless. So if I worked in that, we should actually contact our our head of security and, and tell him this and just see what he thinks. But I feel like I would have immediately put other projects on hold I mean, like, how can we, what incentives can we get approved from the higher brass to offer people if they make their password, like, longer than 20 characters? And you know what I, I know we would have happen, which happened at, well, whatever, I'm not going to talk about work, but <laughs> someone will approach the help desk or somewhere and say, but I need to be able to give my password to... Oh. 
someone else so they can do something for me. Yeah. So don't, how am I going to do that if I have a wearable two factor auth? Do I have to give them my watch? It's like don't give your password to anyone ever. Yes. Don't give your password to anyone ever. Um, and they would. We would encounter those people who are like, well, I can't turn on two factor because I have to. My secretary or my friend or whoever needs access to my account. It's like no, they don't. No. Nope. <laughs> Because no... Because anyone who needs access to that stuff has access to that stuff. Well, and you're... Through their own account. The the whole system is set up so that when you're acting, you are believed to be acting as you. So there's no way to tell any computer system ever (laughs) that like, oh, I'm in here as Michael Edwards, but I'm actually David Lyons. So just put that in your log somewhere, right? Because if I log in with your username and password, it's like, oh, this is Michael Edwards. And then if I start sending, like, horrific hate speech emails (laughs) under your name, you have no way to prove that that wasn't you. And in fact... Or you just change the address for my paycheck. Yeah, (laughs) and and, uh, I have known both of those things to happen in the time that I've worked uh, in in technology. one time was a student who had given her friend was like, oh, I want to uh, share my notes with my friend, but I'm out. So go ahead and log in. And yeah, massive eye rolling <laughs> ensues. And so the student did that. And then the friend uh, said some really hateful things and sent them out to everyone in the course, <laughs> like really hateful, terrible, childish things. And these were adults who should know better. Um, And then more than once, I've heard of people having their paychecks rerouted. And let me just tell you, you have no recourse in those situations. Yeah, the money is gone. They're not going to pay you again. Yeah, HR is absolutely not going to say, oh, dude, that sucks. Here's another paycheck. (laughs) So unless you know who the guilty party is and you can get the money back from yeah. them somehow, you're screwed. You just don't get paid that week or that by yeah. week or that month. I mean, in Chipotle, if someone grabbed your burrito and ran right after you paid for it, they'd probably <laughs> give you another burrito. Yeah. But HR is not paying you again. No, absolutely not. So that's – I feel like people – I th- and I, I feel like I've said this before, but I think people – with digital security do not understand what's at risk, right? Like, if I don't lock my door, it's very clear to me, oh, someone could open my door and go into my house and take my things. Yeah. But if I don't password protect my phone, which I do, if I don't use two-factor auth, which I do, if I don't use strong (laughs) passwords, which I do, then I know what's at risk, but most people are like, oh, so someone gets into my email, so what? They're going to see baby photos my friend from high school sent me? And it's like, yeah, they can also reset the password on your bank. So it's like... And every other account you've ever used. Yeah. So just imagine if you have a filing cabinet in your house where you keep all the stupid baby photos and the keys to your safety deposit box. Like, you have those things in one place. That's what your email is. Yeah. Like, your email is everything. And most people, if you have a smartphone, you have your email tied to it. You don't log into your email every time. Yeah. So if the phone's not password protected, it's as good as not having a password on your email. Yeah. And I just... Once you explain that to someone, they're like, oh. Yeah, if you leave your phone on the bus, you might have just left your entire life in someone's hands. Yeah. So 
remote actually remote wipe is another thing i don't think we've talked about yeah but if you have a smartphone or a tablet device or even a laptop um re- being able to wipe it remotely is another step in the security direction um so i actually like i used to use uh cdma phones like sprint and Verizon, mm-hmm. um and now i use a gsm phone and one of the risks with a gsm phone is if someone steals it and they're smart the first thing they will do is pop out the SIM card mm-hmm. because then they can keep the phone on and screw with it and you can't talk to it remotely because it no longer has a working radio. Yeah. So whereas with a CDMA phone, it's built in, so they have to turn the device off. So, I mean, I guess they could still go into Wi-Fi and your software could talk to it. Yeah, if they connected to like an open Wi-Fi network, then maybe I could get to it. But I mean, the the fact that they have that edge on me, like if they get physical access yeah. to this device, it's right here on the side. You just pop, and it's out. So that's why my phone is encrypted. Yeah. So that they, if they don't have the passcode, which hopefully they don't, and if then if they try and restart it, they can't even turn the phone all the way on because yeah. it's encrypted. So I'm sure to the average person, I sound like a total paranoid psychopath, but just. Treat your digital stuff exactly like physical stuff. If you wouldn't want someone to rob your house and take all of your things, yeah. you probably don't want them to rob your phone. We got, we just got into like massive, scary, <laughs> like the world is coming Security to get you. Number two. Yeah. So we have some interesting other things on the rundown here. Um, <laughs> you, you, put, you put Goat Simulator here. So, did what did you want to say about Goat Simulator? <laughs> so, other than that, it's amazing. <laughs> so, um, I put Goat Simulator because of the thing you put next, which I'll let you talk about. But so, Steam has um, is it the Green Light Project Green Light Project Green Light? I was going to say the Green Light program. I was fifty percent of the way there. So, so <laughs> no Ste- partial credit. No fail. Oh, crap. F minus minus. So Steam has Project Greenlight, and that is their, their like Xbox Live Arcade, their PlayStation Network. Like that's how they bring indie games onto their uh, platform. And I'm probably oversimplifying that a little bit. Because it's way more community driven. Like there's a voice of the community choosing what gets funded, right? Yes. Yeah. It's a you vote. Whereas and I, I think Xbox and PlayStation is just they have recruiters finding indie games and saying, yeah, yeah. Those, those are more like the App Store. Yeah. Like you can submit something to Xbox Live Arcade or the PlayStation Network, but Project Greenlight is more like a film festival. Yeah. Like it's a little more prestige. Um, which is probably actually why they went with Greenlight, because you usually greenlight a show or you greenlight yeah. a movie. Um, and they make it seem very like community-driven, because the Steam community is what makes Steam work. Like That's how they were able to break away from you know, the, the Windows-exclusive kind of world. Um, so, Goat Simulator. <laughs> <laughs> so, robots. <laughs> so, Goat Simulator is basically... Grand Theft Auto style sandbox yeah. world, um, but, but instead a, of a European immigrant, you're a terrorist. <laughs> you're a goat. So instead of being a goat farmer, you're a goat. And uh, I have not played a single second of it, but I have watched the trailers, and it's it's one of those things where I am amazed how like creeping the knowledge of Goat Simulator is. <laughs> Because so our our video guy has a 
a very shiny black trash can that he swears is an Apple computer on his desk. That's very powerful. That was a Mac Pro joke for anyone who doesn't know what they look like. Um, but when I asked him about it, I was like, oh, have you like tried to max out your Mac Pro yet? And he was like, well, you know, it, uh, it renders a lot faster. And he, you know, went off on the kind of a high-minded video talk. And when it started to get out of my depth, I just cut him off. And I was like, well, how does it run Goat Simulator? And he was like... Oh, I should find out. Like he knew exactly what yeah. I was talking about, and I was like, "Oh my god, you actually know what Goat Simulator is?" Like I thought that was going to derail this conversation, not be the next logical yeah. topic of conversation. And uh, it turns out it's Windows only, which kind of sucks. But I mean, you can just dual boot, yeah, or, or do a VM. So uh, the long and short of that is, we are going to run Goat Simulator on his Mac Pro <laughs> at like maximum graphics. I wonder if I mean. It's not a gaming machine. Uh, no, but I know of another podcaster who has one, and he said the way he tested it was Bioshock Infinite with maximum specs. Yeah. And he said he couldn't even get the fan to kick into high gear. Yeah. So, I mean, that's a pretty modern game running right. at full spec, and he was like, it didn't drop a frame, it didn't hiccup. Yeah. So, like, I want to see that kind of... Because whenever... I'm a console gamer. When everybody, somebody talks about PC Gaming Master Race, they act like everyone has a computer that powerful. Right, and most people don't have anything more powerful than a PS3. But yeah. Most people have a Dell that they got for $500 on, like, Memorial Day weekend sale that they got an aftermarket card and put in there. But everyone acts like if you PC game, you have... A Cray yeah. supercomputer. So I want to see what a PC game actually looks like running on hardware like that. Yeah, 1440p. And yeah, just full crazy. Like, I want it to be like the old, was it Max, Maxol, the the stereo, the guy in the chair? Oh, what was that? Max, Maxol? Maxwell. Maxwell? Yeah. Yeah, and his hair is being blown back. Like, I want, I want to play Goat Simulator <laughs> and have... <laughs> That'd be my the, the flatulence of the goat to yeah. <laughs> blow your hair back. Yes. Okay. So, and and the reason I mentioned Ghost Simulator is because you had you found an even more possibly ridiculous. So I think this is another Project Greenlight because it's definitely it, not like a triple A. I'm pretty sure blockbuster it is. game. So um, the tagline before I read the name of it, it's called or the tagline says the only simulator where you can let your aggression out by flipping the table. Yes. So obviously why I decided to include it. Right. Tabletop simulator. And it appears to be a a board game sandbox. So it lets you set up any kind of board and tokens and tiles and pieces you want and you have some kind of way of manipulating the pieces and they show like them picking up chess pieces and dropping them. But the the trailer, if we can get a link to it, uh is funny because it just escalates throughout because <laughs> it becomes pretty clear like you don't really imagine you're going to sit and play chess this way with someone you're going to get a dedicated chess game right and not deal with physically picking up the yeah, yeah having to reach out accidentally knocking over other pieces yeah. <laughs> all the things you don't have to deal with like any Wii game that tried to pretend you had three dimensional Jenga controls and it just <laughs> Like, I'm thinking of, what was the Sp- Boom Blocks the Spielberg oh, yeah. game? Yep. Like, you're trying to, like, pull the Jenga block out, and it's just oh. sort of, like, 
Sort of like you slept on your arm and it fell asleep, and you're trying to use that to play Jenga, and you're just kind of dangling it. But anyway, um, clearly you're not meant to use this game to play real board games. You're meant to just play with the physics. Yeah, cause, I mean, it's it's a physics engine gone, like, completely single focus. Like, here is a physics engine, and we know exactly what you're going to do with it now, Find even funnier stuff. To yeah, do. and so by the end of the trailer, all the tables are flipped. Yeah, and it's the they're it's they took it and kind of went silly with it, which is what you want, right? Yeah, um, it's like tables like in Antarctica and like floating in space. So it's like it's all the joy of overturning the Chinese checkers game you're about yeah. to lose in space or like on the moon. So is there a, I mean, there obviously is probably hundreds of precursors, but is there a precursor to the physics sandbox game? Because, like, before Ooh. the 3D era? Because, like, I think of Gary's Mod. Like, what would come before Gary's Mod as far as, like, a 3D sandbox physics? Oh, man. I don't even know. The only... I don't even know. The only pre... 3D game I can even think of that I would classify as a sandbox was the original Grand Theft Auto, which was top down. Yeah. The, you remember the first? But two? I mean, like physics sandbox. Yeah. I, <laughs> would, I, I don't. Which, think, I feel like before Havoc, there was just nothing. Yeah, because you wouldn't do a 2D physics thing because it would. Be, well. I mean, like worms, Armageddon, but you don't you don't really play. <laughs> oh, 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 oh! The the tank. Well, yeah, the old it's like angle and power. Yes, that was a very rudimentary physics simulator. Yeah, I mean, really rudimentary. And just especially it was if there was a spinoff of that kind of game that just had more of a silly dominoes or bouncing around. Yeah, I don't. I can't think of one. Somebody needs yeah. to tell. I'm sure there was. I doubt it took all the way till the 3D right. gaming era when someone was like, oh, physics is a thing. But, it, I mean, it definitely was like a mind-blown leap when that Half-Life 2 demo came out in, like, 2003. Yeah. And, like, Gabe Newell or whoever was controlling is running around and makes the Plinko machine barrels bounce down. And you're right. just like, what? Or I, I think what blew me away is he... So they had this gravity gun, and they pick up a mattress... And he just like pushes over a table and all the stuff on it. On the just, table like, goes flying. Just like wipes all the stuff down. And I'm like, that that isn't a thing you can do in games. Yeah. Like How everything did you do is that? nailed down. <laughs> well, it's, um, so for me, it uh, it always hit home in the newer Fallout games. So like three in New Vegas, because there's crap everywhere since it's like a post-apocalyptic nightmare world. And you're walking along, and you bump into a table, and you hear, like, a bottle fall over. Yeah. And it's like, oh, I hit the chair, and the chair was pushed in, so it bumped into the table, and then there was a milk bottle on the table, and the milk <laughs> bottle fell over. Like it would. And there was definitely, like, a, the Uncanny Valley early days of that. Well, I think Half-Life got it pretty good, and it sort of limited it to simple physics puzzles, but... There was, like, I can't remember, maybe it was Prey, or one of the other, like... 2003-ish games that first was like, we got physics, man! <laughs> is, uh, Check it out! 
it just felt off. Like you'd bump something and it'd go like way too far. Like yeah, it was bouncing realistically, but times two. Yes, <laughs> and you're well, just like, well, I bumped the table, but this didn't send the lamp into the other room. I bumped the table on the moon. <laughs> yeah. Well, and and the other thing too about those first person games is you have only a rough idea of where you as the player end. So it's like, do I have to hit something or does my field of view have to hit it? (laughs) Like, where do I stop and the world begins? (laughs) And I know that sounds kind of corny, but that definitely causes that uncanny valley, like, I am watching a movie sort of moment where you turn and something goes flying and you're like, no, no, I was nowhere near that. Yeah. It was still exhilarating, though, compared to, like, I think of the first Deus Ex, you, like, throw a crate, and it just stops. Yes. <laughs> like, yeah. boom. As soon as it touched the ground, it was just, like, done. I have no inertia of any kind. Like how gymnasts are expected to land. <laughs> yes. Well, it's like, do you remember her going way back to, like, the Super Mario days? So Mario had a very defined top speed. Mm-hmm. That you reached after, like, three steps. Yeah. And yet, if you were going to make a long jump, did you not back up, like, 20 or 30 feet? Yeah. As if you needed that runway <laughs> to, like, get up to full speed? And, I mean, I guess you could argue it's a little bit of a timing thing. Like, you wanted to be at full speed and then just think about the timing yeah. of the jump. But you did it in a very human way. So, did you ever... Did you subscribe to Nintendo Power? Oh, yeah. Did you get, like, their little extra guides that came with subscription, Like, the Mario Mania and the... Probably. They had, like, the NES Player's Guide and the Super Nintendo Player's Guide. I, and I don't specifically remember those, but probably. Okay. Well, I think it was the Mario Mania book, which came out in, like, 90, 90... Or it was around Mario 3 when it came out. Mm. So that'd be 90, I think, 1990. Yeah. Um, yeah, 89, 90, And they had diagrams of all the Mario games and his running acceleration and his jump length. Oh, so like you measure it out according to it. like a standard unit of distance, <laughs> and like I mean, one of the things I definitely noticed is the first Mario has way more inertia. Like when you land and try to stop or turn around, yes, he slides more. And they actually had for a very early game, they had the animation of the knee yeah. and arm across when you were at full speed and you press. You know, you're going right, yeah. and you press left, and it went like. Mm-hmm. It was like. I was considering it was not that long before where the main character in your game was literally a square. Yeah. Like, that was, I mean, if you remember way back to Adventure, I mean, I know that predates both of us, but like the original Adventure, you were a white square. <laughs> and that little square next to it's the sword. Yeah. <laughs> or whatever. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, that the fact that he had inertia was like neat. <laughs> yeah. So, I just, I, I noticed. I'm just throwing this out there, um, gaming community. Uh, until April 25th, you can get a four-pack of Tabletop Simulator for 35 bucks. Oh, wow. So if anybody wants to buy it for themselves and a friend and then just give the other two licenses yep. to Mike and I, we will totally praise you like holy hell on the next episode. <laughs> yep. So it's 20 seconds, so you got three days to think about it, but don't waste all that time. <laughs> just do it now. Just spend your money right now on us. Spend your money on us. If yeah, if you don't remember <laughs> anything else, yeah. this episode. Yes, this is the one important takeaway. So I think we're coming up on an hour. Um, do you have any any final thoughts about Tabletop Simulator? Which I'm gonna, 
even if you don't buy it for us, you should check it out because it's funny. So I'm going to throw that up into the show notes. Yeah. No, no more thoughts. Uh, really, it was just the tagline about flipping tables, and I'm shamelessly like, yep. Yeah. Well, obviously, whoever wrote that game wrote it with us in mind. Yep. And I appreciate that. So thanks. we invented the idea of flipping a table. We made it cool. Was <laughs> <laughs> this like the, the Apple thing? Like, we didn't invent the yeah. mp3 player we just made it good well that's your only option when you're not the first person to do something because the first you can't take that away from the person who does it first they'll always have done you it you just first. have to find a different way to crap on them yeah a creative way a shiny aluminum way a beautiful thin product so okay i'll stop crapping on it all right so so uh mike if people want to find you on the internet where do they go they go to pseudomichael.com or they follow me at m edwards music on twitter Ooh. And if people want to find me, they can find me at lionsinbeta.com or at lionsinbeta on Twitter and lionsinbeta pretty much everywhere. And uh, the show notes, this will be, this is episode 10. So we, we crested the into the double digits. Yes. So flippingtablespodcast.com slash 010. Yes. Episode 10. Um, and do definitely check out the Goat Simulator trailer. That's the real takeaway. If you look at nothing else from this episode, go watch the trailer for Goat Simulator because it's um, amazing. I think and is the just, right word. just for giggles, I'll throw in Ladder Goat as the last one. Ladder Goat, yeah. <laughs> oh, and actually, so are you going to end this episode with the the pre-NES yeah, the, version? The, the two good-sounding <laughs> okay. lo-fi so- so, so the opening theme, which is the theme we'll use from here on out until Mike changes it, because <laughs> he's an artist and they're never happy. Um, that'll be the the Ness style, like the the authentic style, and then the closing music is going to be the original like beta version that sounds way too quality. <laughs> so check, compare them, tell us what you think. Yeah, I'll, I'll put in the SoundCloud yeah. links. Too. I, I like the Nest version better because I have nostalgia glasses and or nostalgia headphones. It's a little more, <laughs> it has more integrity, I guess. <laughs> uh, now you've gone and gotten all artist on us. It's more, it just... It's more internally it, consistent. It, oh, Jesus. It bears it's, more of my soul. It has a through line of a, a theme and a narrative. Alright, that's enough. Okay. Good episode. We'll see you guys next week. <laughs> <laughs>